the Protect Your Neck Podcast, UFC on ESPN Plus 30 Breakdown, picks, plays, and whatever else comes our way. Let's go to work. Hot air hangs like a dead man from a white oak tree. People sitting on porches thinking how things used to be. Dark night. It's a dark night. What is up, my friends? This is the Protect Your Neck Podcast, and I'm your host, Dan Tom. Analysts work you can find over at MMAJunkie.com, as well as LineMovement.com. But on this year's program, the Protect Your Neck Podcast, we break down high-level MMA. That's what we're going to do here today, tonight. Whenever you're listening to this, hopefully it's before the fight, because I'm recording it just a little bit before fight time here on West Coast U.S. time for UFC on ESPN Plus 30. Benavidez versus Figueiredo, or Figueiredo versus Benavidez, I should say, too, going down in Abu Dhabi um, on Saturday. So um, we're going to be really quick and expedited as possible uh, on this. So as per usual, folks, check the timestamps for when the recap of the previous show, which we're going to recap just really quickly, UFC on ESPN 13, when that stops and when this breakdown, UFC on ESPN Plus 30 starts, will be timestamped as per usual, and again, as per the huge. You can always skip to the very end of the episode where I recap my picks and plays. Uh, no harm, no foul. Do not blame me for not wanting to listen to moi. So, without further ado, just want to thank you guys for being here. Remind you really quickly to like this uh, if it's the YouTube version. Uh, by the way, Help me out with the subscriptions there, folks, uh, for the YouTube channel. Would mean would mean the world. Uh, Daniel, Tom, MMA for the search, uh, as well as Apple Podcasts. I saw some more five-star ratings roll in, so thank you for that. Feel free to give five stars or a review. It really helps. I'm going to try to get this on the rest of the platforms. Of course, show is hosted at MixedMartialAnalyst.com, where you can find smartphone-friendly players, for this show, as well as in the toggle bar to the right, um, it should be in peer view on all the pages. You got Amazon links, on it links, as well as a PayPal donation if you're feeling so generous for the free content. Um, pride myself on on trying to keep you know this podcast and all my content free, as well as LineMovement.com where you can find uh, a free play sheet if you don't want to listen to me at all. You just you just want to see some plays. Uh, some of those plays from today will probably end up on that sheet, which I'm going to punch up right after this, and it'll be a fight day release. Maybe it'll be a day before fight day release as we resume a normal schedule, but yes, um, we are currently three fights within one week, four in Abu Dhabi within two. It's a bit of a crazy schedule. Didn't do full tape study. We'll disclose fully for those fights as per the normal Uh for better or worse, mainly for worse, I'm always honest with you guys on that front. Uh, but hopefully it'll make for a shorter show. So now with all the notes done, three minutes, three seconds, at least on my clock. Uh, let's get to some quick results really quickly. Um, for USC on ESPN 13, headlined by Calvin Kada uh, over Dan Dynamite Ige. Uh, Dan 50K Ige. Um, didn't get the 50K, I don't believe. They, they, although they, I, I think they, they could have. Uh for the fight of the night because they ended up giving it to Razak uh, Munir, which we'll get to. Uh, great fight, but yeah, Razak couldn't 
to get it because he missed weight. So it just and they made up for it and gave it the bonus to uh, a third performance bonus. So that's good at least for that sake. But you know, there also was like those days where like didn't they used to just double it up and give it to like you know uh, the opponent? You know, like uh, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Um, but yeah, Calvin Keeter defeated Dan Ige by unanimous decision. Uh, that was ah, with a chagrin because, of course, my heart was with uh, Ige. I always support uh, and cheer for, uh, at, at the very least, uh, Extreme Couture Products under the care of Eric Nixick or Dennis Davis. Um, so these situations, like I said on the podcast, are always tough for me. But that being said, like I, I told you guys, for better or worse, um, even if it's not a popular opinion amongst the masses or the people I care about, uh, more importantly, um, I'm still going to give you that opinion for whatever that's worth. Uh, but yeah, I, 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 I saw Dan's durability um, and, and underrated skills, which I would argue he showed, uh, came through. Uh, had some things, just couldn't build off it, hurting Cater's nose. And getting the second round on my card, if you could want to be generous, could have gave him the third. I know I accidentally tweeted like 29-29, but nobody gave me crap on that for some reason. I think they could tell what I meant. Uh, but yeah, I had the 49-46, uh, record, uh, outcome. Uh, next fight, I actually didn't agree with the scorecards, even though my biases, uh, wanted Tim Elliott to win and was happy that he defeated Ryan Benoit by unanimous decision, 29-28 across the board, came down to the second round. They might have rewarded that guillotine cradle series. It was nice. It was a nice poignant spot. However, the leg lock was also very close, almost got the old verbal tap, uh, you know, which we saw. Um, you know, take place in the grappling world recently, or be, be reminded us of that. By the way, shout out to the Verbal Tap podcast. Those guys were awesome. Had me on like a few weeks or something ago. Mm. But yeah, um, I actually scored it for Benoit, man. He was fighting the best he ever has. He finally was starting, you know, like the criticisms I was saying about not defending takedowns or not putting together the jitsu and transferring for the, through the phases. He actually was doing that. Uh, and the butt, unfortunately, like normal, he doesn't have the gas tank or the pace. And that really costed him. Even when he had, like, Tim Elliott clearly hurt with the fingers, he couldn't capitalize, you know? He had, like, a one-handed Tim Elliott out there. And these goofy guys, like Tim Elliott or like a Kevin Holland, it's like they have to get hurt for them to start like fighting with some type of process. And as soon as Elliot's hurt, all of a sudden he's throwing jabs and like you're fighting like smart. It's crazy how that works. Right. Um, and then, yeah, all, I couldn't see who the judges were, but all the judges went against Benoit, which is kind of ironic because not only is Benoit in split decisions, whether he should win them or lose them, like, a point I didn't bring up, and which is another reason why I was confident Elliot if it went to the scorecards, albeit me scoring it for Benoit here, um, was that if you look at like the the whatever whatever judge gave him uh, the fight Benoit in previous split decisions, it was always the worst slash le- least known judge, which is never a good sign, right? Like even some known judges will give some weird scorecards, like Saldi Amato's a guy who gets called out a lot. Um, I think he's still like of that mid to late mindset as well as like he ridiculously weighs takedowns, even if there's no score there. Whereas like a guy who doesn't get mentioned a lot, Chris Lee, man, he seems like he's, I can't recall a scorecard that I've been on. Like what the fuck? Questionable scorecard. Chris Lee. Like, no, like, and Chris Lee like never scores it for Ryan Benoit. Um, which if Chris Lee was out there in Abu Dhabi, maybe that was the case for this one because none of the judges scored it for Benoit. So yeah, I'll take the win, but I can't feel great about it. Um, 
Jimmy Rivera defeated Cody Stamen. I like Cody Stamen, man, like I said, rooting for him with his personal situation to, you know, working with guys that obviously I love, like Eric Mixick. But, and I know other people, you know, uh, like striking analysts and of the, of the sort, um, were on the side, just the speed difference. You know, Rivera gets a lot of slack. I don't know what it was. Like, around that Marlon Moraes fight and the lead-up into it, like, people were, like, accusing him of, like, being a prima donna or avoiding people and yada, yada, But, like, this, like, whole shade, you know, uh, went toward Rivera. And, like, we forgot that he's fast. He's got heavy hands, even if he's not getting the knockouts. It's, it's felt. You could tell the, repo- the opponents, uh, you know, uh, you know, respect it to a certain extent or have to. Um and uh, and yeah, um, even though no one—I mean, at least I'm not denying. I mean, you guys know me, I'm a Peter Yan fan, obviously, but like I'm not denying Peter Yan won. But I, I do think I am of those who think that yeah, Jimmy Rivera did really well in those that fight uh, in those rounds until he wasn't. Which you know, so I, I'm not gonna die on that hill. But yeah, it's just my honest opinion. Um, and sure enough, Rivera comes out. Um, and by the way, I love. I love wrestling Cody Stamen, and it sucks that Cody Stamen does his hardest wrestling in fights that he loses. So, like, just like you forgot about it with the Algebrin Sterling fight because he gets his knee ripped apart, or this fight because it just seemed like at least most people that knew what they were watching, um, kind of knew where this fight was going, you know. Uh, so, wow. Speaking of where we're going, don't get hit in the head, folks. Where the hell was I going with that? Um. But yeah, oh the stamina wrestling. But yeah, like he, I don't know. I, I really like his wrestling. Um, and uh, I think Ed Gallo, shout out to him, did something on it. I gotta go check on that. Uh, Tyler Santos defeated Molly McCann via unanimous decision, thirty-two. Yeah, I was really close to make putting Molly McCann um, on my play sheet and and, and pulling the trigger, uh, especially with people that I respect. Um, you know, liking her. And it just seemed like everybody was on McCann, whether they were playing her or not. At least they were picking her, right? Um, and I definitely was wrong on the pick. I'm not going to bump my chest here or anything like that. Uh, however, on this here very podcast, I did say that something about the athletic ceiling of Tyler Santos. This is the age where she should improve. Sure enough, she improved. She turned into 2014 Nova and Yao Fighter. Um, but hey, man, good on her, man. Uh, she's putting it together, and that this was an important skills jump, and it was no slouch of McCann. McCann came into the shape of her life. I'm a fan of Meatball Molly. I still am. Still gonna cheer for her. But massive props to Tyler Santos. Munir Lizez defeated Abdul Razak on unanimous decision. Yeah, I only saw like highlights of Lizez, and I think I just maybe watched like maybe one and a half or two fights on the old YouTube, and it was just one of those things where. You know, we'll talk about it here with Saryuki, and um, but I, I go against my own, and I talked about it on the line movement uh, MMA uh, betting show with uh, with uh, Dan Levy. Um, but like sometimes you got to ignore the competition and just look at what the guy is doing. I did not do that. I was like, yeah, this guy looks impressive, but his balance looks weird in grappling spots and this and that. Abdul Razak is not a grappler. I mean, he remembers to do takedowns after his corner. We yell at him after a round. But by that point, he's super gassed. And um, again, I'm not sure how much Nawaza was in Judo Thunder's game, being that he was, you know, more of the modern practitioner competition where, and I'm not a Judo expert, but um, a lot of quick attacks, not a lot of 
not a lot of time for nuanced ground play. Um, obviously, he's been should have been should be working on it, being that he's been in MMA. Um, but uh, yeah, um, he still hasn't been able to show what stuff he himself has hinted at, uh, and it just. Uh, I, I'll be honest. Like I think I did it for fun parlay, and I threw him in there, so it was no, it was no uh, big hurt. I still came out winning uh, this card, um, but but yeah, it was like total flashbacks of the uh, Omari Ahmedov a Durka Durka uh, fight, right? Like you're just like, oh Jesus, and maybe that's kind of burnt in my head to wh- why I took a a weird random swing on a pick away from my early lean. We'll get to on this main card here. Um, but yeah, I was reminded of, oh yeah, dude, durable dudes who can take it. Um, and again, there's, it was really hard to know that Munir was going to be able to take it from a guy who's got freakish power, like Abdul Razak. But yeah, that's always, the, that's always the scare. You see inflated numbers of those knockout run one round of guys where it gets dicey after one round. Um, Kazmat Chimaev defeated John Phillips, submission Darce round two. Scored a 10-7 in round one. I can't hate. I mean, I, I was more of a 10-8 there, but, um, you know, he wasn't making them do a barrel roll like Frankie Edberger, Gray Maynard, too, UFC 125. But Chimaev, again, not trying to bump my chest or whatever. Um, he was a minus 300 favorite. But, like, I, on this year, very podcast, again, folks, um, what I talk about specifically is, uh, yeah, Chimaev may not have faced, and, again, I didn't, I didn't listen to my own advice within the same card here, actually. I didn't even have to reach for the next card. But Chemayev, um, like I, I said on this podcast, didn't have to face a legit uh, depth of competition to see that, like, okay, this guy knows what to do, particularly when given the turtle position. Now he hits all those check boxes, and we saw it um, in spades. I know John Phillips, obviously, not a great grappler or a sample size, but you look at what Chemayev's able to do with that frame and how that frame works at middleweight and what it's going to do at welterweight is... Normal uh, weight class, I'm very excited. I'm already fantasy matchmaking. Uh, Laurent Murphy keeps the quiet streak alive of return fighters to Abu Dhabi um, winning, which was a a theory I came into this with, not necessarily with Laurent Murphy, because I didn't pick him. I picked Ricardo Ramos, who lost to TKO, strikes round one. And wow, man, um, survived bad spots, showed excellent scrambling, and grappled right into him. What Paul Felder, um, it was like Paul Felder uh, du Bronx, man. So props to Lerone Murphy, dude. Guy gets shot in the neck and spits out bullets. Uh, big fan of his. Um, again, I picked Ramos, not trying to bump my chest. Uh, but I'm glad I I respected Lerone Murphy despite picking against him and stayed away from that one. Modestus Buskakis. Defeated Andreas Mikolaitis via TKO referee stoppage. Um, I don't know. This is one of the many things people keep breaking down. That like I really don't think that was that big of a deal. <laughs> um, yes, it was the opening this cage that caused him to fall. But you know the the referee already had ample reason to stop that fight just because of the non responses. So. You know, I mean, he was, um, you know, how many times did he say, you know, Mikolaitis, are you okay? Or Andreas, are you okay? Andreas, are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay, Andre? <laughs> now you have that song stuck in your head. <laughs> um, no, we don't, Dan, because we don't uh, live in the year fucking 2000. Hey, what's wrong with year 2000? An eclipse come, you fucking goofs. Sorry, that's the one thing I remember from Dana White's tour of the office is like the random bowl of like, Year 2000 centric gums like dentine ice and polar ice eclipse gum. Yeah, 
Got a fucking bowl of it here. You want some? I'm okay. You fucking goof. Dan, that's not how it went down. Well, it went down in my head. There was the gum there, though. Anyways, yeah. Me and my dated fucking references. The point is, I'm a hypocrite, and I am no better. Um, but yeah, I, I have no issue with that. Jared Gordon defeated Chris Fishgold. Fishy. Um, Jared was being hard on himself, saying it was a sloppy fight, but for everything he went through, like... So so happy for Jared Gordon. You know it was really fucked up, and I'm also fu- fucked up saying it now. But like I, I I was gonna say this on last week's podcast, and I forgot to. But I was like, yeah, you know, and I picked Jared Gordon. I, I'm a big fan. Yeah, yeah, did my normal spiel. But I was like, oh Jesus, it's just it's so dangerous picking him because you never know what's going on with Jared Gordon. Like, did he, uh, you know, you know, early days? Like, did he have a drug overdose? Did he have a relapse? Did he get into a street fight and like almost lose a finger? Like that happened that one time. Um, did he come in on a bad this or a bad like? There's always these like ridiculously crazy stories and sh- and stuff. Like every time, like this guy's got to go through hell. Like he's got, you know. A- a- anytime I think about my bad luck, I just think about people like Jared Gordon who have had way worse bad luck and have persevered because they're just badasses in life. Um, but yeah, and then sure enough, what happens? Like. Fucking he wins and all of a sudden like ah you know I got some got COVID my team got COVID my wife got COVID she miscarried that like what the f-? like holy shit like as if what fighters are going through the, if like minus if without the pandemic if it, like the plight of a fighter is not sympathetic and hard enough um the pandemic all that stuff going through that that's not enough and then he's got to go through that like that is just hearts out man holy shit. Um, yeah, fucking one for the good guys, man. Uh, <laughs> not going to get in my personal spiel that I tweeted about it, but man, just sometimes it feels like the universe is fucking attacking you from all angles. That's definitely been the case for me. I'm not going to fucking play a violin. I've definitely not have a worse than, than him or others. But uh, again, I, I just bring that up because I, I, I like looking at these fighters that can overcome adversities. And uh, it's very inspiring, man. So props to Gordon. Leanna Jojua keeps the trend alive. People were turning to Abu Dhabi during this Fight Island stretch. And she beats Diana Belbita. Uh, I was dealing with uh, stuff, uh, some neighbor drama that I kind of just alluded to. Uh, almost getting to a fight of my own. Um, so I, I missed this. But yeah, it, from the highlight and what I read, it seemed like Belbita's pressure doing her thing. But she just clenched for no reason. And Jojua took it an arm barter. Brutal one. Uh, so that cash to make us a uh, two for one because Jack Shore defeats Aaron Phillips via submission or a naked choke. Round two, two twenty nine. So, yeah, I had the over. You know, I had the under last week, and I'm like, oh, everybody's fighting slow. The overs are gonna go. And then I was like, wait, bantamweight. I know these guys are finishers and familiar with their style. I'm not gonna rehash it, but I'm like, bantamweight entry point, low entry point. 1.5 round of an entry point. Oh, crap. I'll take a shot. And, um, fuck, man. He couldn't hold on for a <laughs> I still got love for Aaron Phillips, but it's like one of those things where, like, and this happens a lot, too. And I think this is another reason for overreactions is because a lot of times people will lose a bet on somebody and that bias will carry over. You know, I'm going to fade this motherfucker or whatever it is. We've all done it. Um, and uh, I, but I like to think I'm pretty good about that. Uh, I've grown out of that phase for, for, for quite some time now. Uh, however, like you could put like Aaron Phillips versus like fill in the blank, like 
terrible ass fighter, and then the, the odds makers messed up and put Aaron Phillips to plus four hundred. Like I, I don't think I could just play him out of principle. I'm like, uh, not that I played him here, but I'm just like just seeing that. I'm like I cannot. That hurt. You know what hurt too was I almost got in a said fight, and I was like, okay, calm down, just calm down. You got some food. Just finally eat some food, Dan. Relax, watch some fights. And as I sat down, um, I was like, oh, hey, your over's about to hit. Because I, like, I missed like the whole fight up to this point. Like It was like 239, 238. I'm like, oh, this is definitely going past. And then all of a sudden I look up and I go, oh, this looks like a bad position. I'm like, well, thankfully, the over already clapped. I'm like, oh, wait, it didn't. It's only at 31. 30. Why, wait, why is he tapping already? <laughs> so it was like the worst way to lose a bet. Like You'd rather just lose your bet straight out right. But then, like, with everything else I had going on and was, like, trying to, you know, uh, not pound someone into the ground uh, previously for threatening uh, my mother and dogs, real class A human being I'm dealing with next door, to pick on handicapped older women and animals. Uh, After somehow calming down from that, you sit down and you (laughs) lose a bet um, the worst way possible to start the night. So it was like, oh, this isn't going to go good. But um, with some luck from the judges... Was able to close the LotMovementMMA.com betting sheet at 2-1. And, one, and um, overall, 8-3 and three in picks on that card. 1-1 one and one in um, props because I did end up taking the over for, like I told you guys on the podcast. So I'm not doing a revisionist history. It's, it's proof. Uh, for the Ige cater, that hit. So I guess that's why I wrote 1-1 one one for props. 2-0 in oh straight plays. Um and uh yeah no parlays um all right let's get to it uh sorry as i go here 21 minutes not too bad let's 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 try to get through this one fast here so i pull up odds for ufc on espn plus 30 uh, figure eight up in avidas two had a good conversation with my dude dan who's on i don't know if he's on figure eight but he picked figure eight um, I'm picking Benavidez, and I still haven't changed as my pick, and I also still haven't changed as far as my play. Um, even though the, the plus number keeps growing. I mean, if it gets to plus 200, i got to play it at a principal. Um, according to my man Dan, and shout out to him and Shaq over there at half the battle. Um, and I get what he's saying here. He's saying, you know, if you, if, you, if you believe he's got enough of a chance to officially pick him, why not play him at those odds? And I get that principle. But... As hard as it is to stay away from dogs, especially as you guys can see, and not on purposely, I, mean, I wouldn't think of myself as a chalk guy, but yeah, I've been doing a lot of chalk lately, right? Whether it's just picks or plays or outright picks. Um, so yeah, it's definitely hard to pass up on some dog, especially a guy I could feel good about playing, a guy I definitely could feel good about cashing in Benavidez. But uh, again, even though I'm, I'm picking Benavidez here, uh, again, um, I still don't deny that Figueredo is favored for a reason. I still don't deny that Figueredo won the first round despite three judges giving it to Benavidez, which is a travesty. Uh, I just don't agree with it. And again, that's kind of hard because I know most people are all the way one way or all the way the other. Um, and for whatever reason, it feels like, maybe it's just today looking at Twitter, like Benavidez is the bad guy. I know Tommy told had a tweet kind of on a different point, but I completely agree with him on like fans overreacting to like a Benavidez interview. And then 
I made the mistake of looking at like a couple comments on like it was like one of those ESPN like clipped interviews where they only like clip one part of it and it was where like you know he's gonna feel like what it's like to uh, wake up uh, with your head hurting from concussions or crying or not knowing this and that and and uh, was kind of like explaining the personal note and we can talk about how that could be good or bad. Um, it's worked out good in the sense of wins, albeit a co- close controversial one versus Cejudo, and a clear win against uh, Miguel Torres, Angel Torres, back in the WEC days. Um, so, like, there's if you want to be alarmed by that in the sense of, like, that's not a good sign for Joby, totally cool. You know, you know, and be like, uh, uh, Joby's going to take another L, though. That's totally cool, man. It's your opinion. Um, you know, it, it's not my style, but I'm not going to hate on that just because it's not my style. But uh, I, I tweeted something earlier, um, and it was just along the lines of, because, you know, it was people just going like, oh, he's going to get head trauma again. Ah, oh, I hope he likes head trauma because he's going to get more of it. And I'm like, it's that kind of shit that bothered me. And I get that I'm going to be more sensitive to the issue because I, I live with these things and I have a... You know, I only can read a certain amount and watch a certain amount before my vision starts to go every day and I start to get headaches. Um, for years now, since my concussion, in, I sustained in a training camp for my second amateur fight. Um, you know, obviously we're all kind of sympathetic to our mothers. And yeah, if your mother, you know, had something happen, whether it was a car accident, something fell in her head or a brain aneurysm burst or she strokes out and... Uh, you know, now she has had uh, worse head trauma than yourself to the point where you have to take care of her. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I've had to learn so fucking much because of my experience and those around me. Not to be fucking cool or sound cool on a podcast. No, I've had to learn about it. And those of us know, you know, with the conscious know, it's, it's you know, we're, we're all hypocrites who watch it. So I'm not even going to pretend. I'm a objectively bad person in a way for making a living, betting, and enjoying what I see, the violence. That being said, um, though I can admit that, I also am somebody who, even if I like the person who gets the knockout and I bet on that person, what do you see me tweet? And you don't see fucking anybody else pretty much tweet for the most part. I hope that person's okay because I know these things are permanent. And they signed up for it, and I signed up for it too. I got no fucking regrets despite the things that I have to deal with. I knew that before I did any type of boxing, amateur kickboxing, smokers, exhibitions, amateur MMA fights, any of the things I did, I knew that even in practicing leading up to those things, it takes one wrong shot and the rest of your life has changed. And of course, I figured, you know, invincibility, yada, yada. And anyways, this isn't about me. It's about Joe B. And I don't, know if he is talking about himself because I or this camp relevantly because I know that from knee injuries to that messing with your psyche you know he talked to us at MMA Junkie Radio really opening up being vulnerable which most immature people who have not competed on a real level or experienced real character building things in life uh, with the proper by providing themselves with the proper challenges um, will make fun of those for being vulnerable for shedding a tear for admitting that they have shed tears. Uh, I don't. I don't. Now, you know, do you have to worry about these things? We'll talk about Jack Hermanson or other guys who have admittedly dealt with performance anxieties. 
of course, you know, especially from at the, at the same time, I'm not going to tell you that the sky is not blue. I mean, you know, I'm, we're, we're going to talk about these things objectively and honestly on in relevant to the fight and performing um, on this podcast. Um, but at the, so I, I'm not, you know, I'm not saying you're not allowed to say anything or it makes them fucking, you know, impervious from criticism, but like they're the ones out there risking it. So if you are somebody who has a bad taste, you're going to be mad at Benavidez, a fighter. And as we learn about fighters, you know, you don't want to meet your heroes. Yeah, like a lot of them aren't the best people, for sure. I'll be the first one to say it. I've said it on this podcast before. That being said, a lot of them are really good fucking people. And find one that'll tell you Joseph Benavidez isn't. Find one. I'll wait. I mean, this is a good fucking dude. One of the few. And... One of the few times this good dude wants to get angry at somebody, a cage fighter, at another cage fighter who he gets to fight, a cage fighter who, you know, kind of crushed his dreams before the fight even happens by missing weight, you know, setting that kind of rhythm, deflating the fucking contest. Not that it's an excuse, man. Uh, Figueredo won. Uh, But, like, you know what I'm saying? And then he does win. And not only does he win... But he does it off of the headbutt. And yes, the, the headbutt was Benavidez's fault. He's done it plenty of times. Before this headbutt stuff became uh, prevalent, who's been saying it since you know 2018, that Alex Perez fighter, when it, uh, uh, the Benavidez headbutt thing? I have. I'm one of the few that have. Believe me. Uh, it didn't surprise me. I'm not playing the violin for Joseph Benavidez. But you can't deny that it happened. You can't deny that it caused damage. And you can't deny that the knockout happened right after that, which is part and parcel of why we're having this rematch, folks. So if Benavidez, a cage fighter, wants to get mad um, at a game where head fucking trauma is dealt in spades, and he's it's already being dealt regardless if he says anything, and he says he wants to return the favor... Like, he's a bad guy now for that? Are you fucking kidding me? Yet, uh, yet these same people are up in the comments, like, fucking making fun of uh, of head trauma that they probably can't confirm or deny because, like me, they didn't go click and watch the full interview. But they sure as shit can, you know, tag these fighters um, to this negative shit. And then the, the fucking... I don't want to say social justice warriors. That's not that's the wrong thing. Snitches, like who like think they're helping the fighters by tagging them to negative shit that other people say. I'm like, I don't get it. Like, you really think these guys are getting ready to do a cage fight? You think they need they need to to be seeing this negative shit that you or other idiots are saying? Like, how does that help? Um, I'm sorry, I'm ranting here on this. Uh, I'm gonna go through this breakdown really fast. I just wanted to explain that tweet where it comes from because, again, that doesn't mean you can't. I get it. Like, this CTE jokes. Uh, Brendan Shaw will do it on himself. Uh, I, I, me and many will do it on Brendan Shaw for the shit that he says. You know, uh, but, you know, and Brendan Shaw is a fighter, and he was able to pull himself out of the system that works against him. And for that part, I respect him. And I don't hate. I'm not a hater on Shab's success. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, I'm not a hater. Um, however, like, yeah... I'd be a hypocrite if I said, like, I haven't made, you know, oh, shop CTE jokes or whatever. Like, I'm not saying that. You know, it's all about comedy. It's all about intent. What's your intent like? And even these people that are being idiots with these comments, like, I don't even think their intent for what it's worth is, like, 
oh, like twiddling their mustache like they're evil people. They're just, they're ignorant and they're stupid. Like, but they're not evil. Um, or where are you punching? Are you punching up or are you punching down? And again, super successful, super athlete guy, Brandon Schaub. Corona's nothing. It's so easy to overcome when you are a super athlete in their prime, catching a least, uh, you know, regionally less dangerous strain, and you have all the funds and a hookup with Rogan and his doctors to do medical vitamin IV stuff because, you know, we can all do that. Yeah, it's so easy. You're not punching down when you're, uh, <laughs> when you're attacking a dude like that. So... You know, it's all about intent, and uh, so I'm not trying to hate on anybody. I I have inappropriate humor myself, though. I got dark fucking humor. I'd be a complete hypocrite. I'm friends with. Uh, I, I like people who have fucked up jokes. I'm not trying to be fucking police the world here. That's not my thing, folks. I'm not trying to come come at you. I'm just coming out of a small sect of ignorant people who choose that to make their point. You want to say Joe B's going to get washed? Oh, I can't wait to cash. Fucking go for it. Good luck, man. Good luck to all y'all picking and playing Figueredo. I'm not playing Benavidez here, but he is my pick because the dynamic, which you can go read MMAJunkie.com to save time. I'm going to kind of skip through here. The dynamic is the same. Um, if Benavidez can survive the shots early, I think he can pull away with his pace and body work. In fact, you could argue that that is even more so with A, Figueredo having to do the rigorous travel and weight cut to make sure he's on point. Uh, because again, you know, even though he won, I don't blame Joe B for saying he he didn't want to win the belt showing up that heavy because, dude, you show up on fight week at 145 to fight at 125? What the fuck? You're going to cut 20 pounds like that? Um, That was ridiculous. And Figueredo is bigger, and he's going to look bigger, uh, even bigger on fight night, folks. I'm not saying he's not. He's still going to have the power advantage. I'm not saying he's not, but he won't be as big because... He had he had to come in at a whole ten pounds lighter, I um, mean he looks hella sucked in. Now he made the weight this morning fine, but how does that affect him in the later rounds? Uh, how does that affect his ability to take a shot, especially the body and legs? He's shown that he could take and shake off um, Benavidez's shots like nothing. He landed the harder shots for my money. I'm not arguing with you there. I gave him the first round. I thought he had good momentum going his way. My problem is I'm not sure if he could keep the momentum. And secondly, like I said in the breakdown, it could take just one one right hand if Joseph Benavidez shifts or fades to the raw, uh, to the right side. He did that multiple times, and Figueredo caught him with multiple shots before the headbutt. And even though, yes, they were the harder, more damaging shot, in my opinion, hence me giving it to Figueredo, the point was, Joseph Benavidez, did he get discouraged or knock, uh, knocked down? No? No? No discouraged? No knocked down? He even had the wherewithal to call out his corner who said he won the round, and Justin Benavidez was like, I don't think so, which is smart. It shows he's not overinflated um, and resting on his laurels. And it also showed he was, wasn't discouraged because not only after getting hit after said round, where cl clearly if you read Joe's body language, he didn't think he won the first round. It didn't matter. Like a true pro, like a true vet, he comes out, gets right back on the clock, and gets right back to work. Headbutt happens. Um, he didn't get dropped from a headbutt like we've seen before. That is true, but it was a damaging headbutt. It busted him open, took his attention as he shifted right to the power side again, and that right hand, which was a perfect right hand, put Joseph Benavidez down. Two clean, perfect ground-and-pound shots to really separate Joe from a clear consciousness, and um, the fight was over. Uh, no problem with it going the way it went. Again, Benavidez has gotten headbutts and won, you know, Alex Perez. Um, it didn't go his way that time. So I'm not 
fucking crying over spilt milk. I'm not saying you should be sympathetic for it. I'm not even saying that. Um, however, and, I, and I'm and i agreeing, again, Figueredo won the first one, won the first round. He deserves to be the favorite here. Good luck if you're betting him. But you can also make the argument that we did see Benavides take the power. And he did land, throw, and land at double the rate with almost the exact amount of accuracy, which is impressive if you're throwing and <laughs> double the amount of punches. I mean, just one round. Um, so for that, I'm going to go with uh, Joseph Benavidez here. Um, by decision this time, albeit I could see him getting a late stoppage, uh, but if it does go to the decision, output, regardless of trends and the way things should be going, still seems to sway judges. So we'll see. Um, Kelvin Gaslin, Jack Hermanson at a dead heat, minus 110. I submitted Gaslin in my early pick, and then I kind of got worried about it. And the more I kind of looked at it and thought about it, you look at Kelvin Gaslin's last losses, you start thinking about Weidman and Magny. Both those guys are good in the clinch and close, good grapplers, especially Weidman. Um, and uh, we saw what happened there. However, he was able to defend 10 out of 11 against Jacare Souza. Uh, and the one that Jacare gets was dropping through a leg lock, very unorthodox, something that um, is very jujitsu and Jacare savvy and centric. Uh, I don't see Jack Hermanson doing that. Not saying Jack Hermanson's not going to get him down. I actually think Jack Hermanson is going to get him down. But is it going to be more like the, again, Jacare and Tim Kennedy fights where Kelvin just has to survive one round of their best and then they kind of fall apart or run out of gas and or both, um, which Jack Hermanson has shown to do more, the falling apart, uh, again, through his own performance anxieties, um, you know, you know, I don't know if it's because it's like, you know, athletic explosive guys, which I feel bad saying about, like uh, Santos or Cannoneer. Um, I always feel a little racist when I always say explosive toward a a, a darker-skinned gentleman, a uh, person of color. And this is coming from a darker-skinned person of color, folks. Relax. Uh, but you know what I'm saying. It just, just feels like a commentator stereotype that's lazy. But you know what I mean. It, it, it does hold true for those guys, and as far as you looking like for like a common thread of Hermanson's losses, um, but even when you look at closer, like even the Magni fight, like did he even lose that fight? Like you know that was a Styles change at last minute. Granted, Magni was the one coming in last minute, deserves that credit for the elevation five rounds, but that was also Kevin Gassum's first five round affair. And how old was he? Like 22, 23 at the time, or whatever, twenty three or twenty four. Like he's a super young kid. Um, and you could argue that it should have at least been a draw, considering, I don't know if it's like the fourth round, like Gastelum drops Magni twice, which already doesn't make it a definitive, especially in MMA, but should at least put five, a 10-8 on the question, or on the table, then he also goes out and gets at least two takedowns in the round, at least three position advances in the round, uh, one of which leads to a crucifix position, albeit brief, other leads to a back take, albeit brief. Um, like, what do you have to do? Like, sneak in a prison shank to get a fucking 10-8 at that point? So, I don't know how much we can really condemn Kelvin Gastelum for. He's 28 as well. He should be turning that corner, you know? Jack Hermanson, you know, he's only 32, albeit he looks 40. He's got that, you know, I got, you know, looks older thing going on. Not hating on the dude. He's, he's still a handsome man. Just saying he looks older than he is. Um, but, yeah, Gastelum still has, has room to improve, which is crazy. Uh, that being said, you could still argue that he's just not a consistent fighter and could very well, that could be very well how it plays out for through his career. I'm not saying it's not uh, or going to or he's not inconsistent. 
You know, whether it's in the cage or out of the cage, Gaslin's made some suspect choices that you don't usually deal with discipline, whether we're talking about diet, uh, which I don't hate a dude for eating, whether we're talking about a green, the green, which I, I, I definitely don't hate on either, or we're talking about, you know, being lackadaisical positions and giving turtle. Again, something I can I, I, I totally can get. Um, but however, what's the common thread with all those? They're all three different things, folks. What's the common thread? Discipline. Um, and even just a moment lapse of discipline, he gets in a mount position from uh, Hermanson. You know, he sure he was able to survive Jacare's choke, but what if Hermanson just goes ground and pound? That being said, uh, even if he gets that deep, I still have faith in, in Kelvin's scrambling. Um, he's gotten his jujitsu black belt since we've seen him last and really uh, fallen in love with it. Hopefully that helps him. Hopefully that doesn't make him want to play jujitsu more. But whether he uh, humors the jujitsu or gets forcibly put there in that first round like Hermanson tends to sell out to do, I'm much more confident in that his ability to survive there. That being said, wrestling and counter-wrestling and maybe just moving in confidence in general. Um, the other variable, the positive one is that the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt. The other one I just hinted at is he had a knee surgery, right? And he's got he's had ample time this whole year, in fact, to rehab. Um, it looks like he's been sparring and stuff since, like, um, March or April, you know, and back and then in inside time got his Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. It looked like he used jiu-jitsu to ease himself back into said sparring and heavier training. Um, so it looks like he's doing it all the right way. But again, he's ultimately fighting at a division he's undersized for. And I don't want to harp on that because he's proven that um, his size, his look, you can't sleep on those things. I haven't been one to, but yes, even giving him that... He is still very undersized for the division, and Hermanson may not be an imposing figure or an imposing athlete by looking at him off first glance or off first memory of his fights, but I can assure you from everybody who's seen him in person, he is a big middleweight, and he seems very sh much stronger than he looks for what it's worth. So I don't blame the line movement on Hermanson. I don't blame people picking Hermanson, playing him, or anything in between. However, I still ended up on Gastelum uh, because of even at his worst and inconsistent performances, he's not a guy who's gassing out. He's not a guy who's giving up. Um, also, Hermanson, the shots that seem to really detonate him are uppercuts. At first, I thought he did like a rampage shot where he shot into a hip on Santos, but there's like a little uppercut there, or, or maybe it was Cannoneer. Um, but either way, they both actually land uppercuts. And uppercuts in general seem to be the shot that detonate him. Now, Kelvin's shots are obviously his one-two is his money punch and his skipping two-three that he likes to skip and go to the body. Uh, but he will throw uppercuts. Uh, he will shovel, even just kind of like throw these like rear shovel hooks, um, these rear shovel punches, um, and he'll change his angles if he's facing a guy with level-changing threats. He did it to Jacare, one of the more... Uh, relevant sample sizes that he has to offer as far as level-changing threat matchups, right? Um, however, Jacare was smart and has much better uh, striking than Hermanson, despite I know the MMA math here doesn't compete to what he's saying, but guess what? MMA math, I don't go by it, and most people don't because it's kind of garbage, and it'll lead you down some tricky paths. But the boxing-wise, heavier hands and technique... Suzo's better than Hermanson, so as soon as Gal Calvin 
flashed it more than once or twice, the shovel punches or uppercuts from the rear, you will see um, Souza go full, you know, cross hook mode, right, and start winging. Uh, and that would tag Gastelum. And again, Gastelum has a great chin, thankfully. Uh, so he was able to change it up and go, oh, okay, back to the one twos and body work. And, and, and Gastelum was smartened up and go, oh, okay, we're striking now. All right, I'm going to go back to one twos and body. Um, that being said, I don't know if the, the jab could be pesky, but against a southpaw, I don't think it's going to have a lot of play. That's why um, Hermanson probably wasted no time. And the one southpaw he does hold a victory over, well, other than Scott Askham, I guess I should say. Um, is uh, Yorkshire, Yorkshire, uh, is uh, what's his name? Um, Mearshard, GM3. Dude, I love GM3. But, you know, for a good reason. He didn't want to, I don't think he likes striking with southpaws. GM3's got the heavy body kicked, amongst other things, improved hands. Uh, so Hermansen did the smart thing, caught him off guard, and just got him fighting out of a negative and whatnot. Um, so if Gaslam can keep it standing and or survive get to his scrambles, um, I think that he can bank two rounds or knock Hermanson out. Um, so essentially, by my logic, not saying it's fucking correct, but, you know, there are, there are, I'm not citing things out of nowhere, folks. Um, but by my logic, or by general logic, which is always dangerous to paint with this broad brush, brush folks, but it's Hermanson sub or bust, and even more so, Hermanson sub one or bust. Um, although things like they never are, it's probably not that clear cut. Like they never are in MMA, right? That being said, uh, easy to argue more paths to victory here. Not that I always like to go by that card, but th the way I draw it up, I think, yeah, I think it does. And and, and I got Gaslam here, so I kept my Gaslam pick. I wasn't sure if I was going to play him, but with money continuing going on, I don't think I'm going to get the plus money I want. But I don't think it's going to get much better at a dead heap at minus 110. So I took 0.125 units at minus 110 for Gastelum, folks. Um, that may be a play you see on the line movement betting sheet. We'll see. you got to check out linemovement.com for that. Subscribe to their YouTube channel as well. Um, next fight, Mark D. Casey, minus 152. Uh, Hopfield Physia, plus 132. A little contentious. Um which I'm kind of surprised. It seems like a fight where like people would pile on the Casey late and it would scare me away. Uh, however, it has not. And this is another straight play I'm taking. I'm actually going to go 1.75. I got 160, unfortunately. I missed the line dip back down to this minus 152. But I'll be honest, yeah, I got minus 160. But I like it. And I like Fiziev. I like Muay Thai. I like Tiger Muay Thai. Um... Fiziev's a Kazakh who's actually got like, you know, some Sambo background. He recently got awarded his purple belt. Um, that being said, I like Mark Casey's purple belt better than Fiziev's because, as well as his wrestling, because he's got more MMA experience doing it, more rounds, um, more MMA experience inside and outside the octagon, better experience inside the octagon, longer experience, uh, and has really fallen in love with Muay Thai. Now, here's where it could get dangerous. Perhaps this is the angle. Perhaps it's the Tiger Muay Thai bump that he was training with Peter Yan, Fiziev was, who is a coach there. Uh, maybe not at Tiger Muay Thai, but is a coach uh, somewhere. Uh, but yeah, uh, either way, I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, you know, he was embarrassed by getting hit with Magomed Mustafaev. Granted, he got hit with two wheel kicks. It wasn't one, folks. So uh, perhaps he should have better to learn better. Um... 
he's not defensively unaware. He's got a good sense of risk management. I just think he's a little too confident in his chin. And he likes to get inside, which is good because a short stout 5'8 frame or 5'7 or whatever he is, um, he's going to have to get inside. So that's all good and good. Um, however, he showed that he's not impervious, whereas Dia Casey, who has shown that he's not impervious, um, has a good chin for what it's worth. Never been uh, stopped in that sense, you know. Uh, yeah, he got stopped by Dan Hooker by submission, and Dan Hooker was tagging him. And I believe memory serves from the Southpaw stance a lot of it. Uh, but Dan Hooker, obviously, no joke, comes from Muay Thai as well. Um, not as much Muay Thai fights as uh, Fiziev, who's like from amateur to pro, as like combined 200 or some shit. But more Muay Thai, and obviously, no joke, um, Hooker is. So no shame there. Uh, I love Fiziev's style, though, man. He goes to the legs, um, goes to the body, my favorite. And perhaps that's going to be good against Dia Casey, but Dia Casey seems to have good risk management and a natural knack for kicks, whether it was the Taekwondo-style kicks that he came in throwing or um, the Muay Thai and calf kicks that he seems to have a good radar on, radar on. I don't know how much play he's going to have against Fiziev, who can fight from Southpaw, albeit we mainly see him fight from Orthodox, uh, as well as Fiziev's distance management and ability to return. Uh, however, everything with Fiziev seems like offense for the most part. I mean, and it's good offense. Like, he does shit I love, especially against, like, a southpaw, which he won't be facing in D.A. Casey. But nonetheless, he'll throw do a throwaway right-hand left hook. Um, I love I love that stuff. You know, maybe he's got a weakness to spins, though. He got hit with spinning shit from Peter Jan in the, in the clip he posted, albeit he would tag Peter Jan with a left hook and a right hand later. Um but it's like one of those things that's like you can't inflate that too much. Like, oh, he's training with this guy. It's like, oh, he's training with John Jones. Like, okay, does that mean he gets John Jones's juju and magic powers? Like, that it rarely works that way. Like, he could be John Jones's punching bag, or he could be Peter Yan's punching bag for all we know. Uh, or maybe Peter Yan getting ready for the Aldo fight definitely is Fizia for his size, leg kicks, right hands, and left hooks and body work. Like, Fizia was a perfect body uh, sparring partner, so he was getting a lot of rounds with Peter Yan. So. Speed won't be a problem. In fact, Fiziev should have the speed advantage. However, the guy he was going against, majority of camp, Peter Jan probably had the speed advantage of him. Was he knocking him silly and stupid? And Dia Casey, again, he's got that stupid power where it could just be one right-hand counter. We don't even need Dia Casey to do the, the, the fancy spinning kicks. He could just hit a straight-up punch counter, and it's lights out for Fiziev. Um, that being said, I think he just outpaces him. Uh, Fiziev his pace didn't necessarily slow down if you look at the numbers, but there was some truth to what Alex White corner was saying that you can make him hesitant. He is getting hesitant when you show him the takedown look. Um, obviously Alex White is not one to threaten well, much less execute or do much on the ground. Not trying to hate him. Sling blade and Alex White looks like South Paul, Jake Gyllenhaal. Uh, not trying to hate as you just, Wow, damn shit on him by citing two movies. Um, but, like, he's not the, he's not a ground fighter, dude. You know, the dude's a serial killer on the feet, right? Uh, but he's not a ground fighter by, by any stretch. And not that Dia Casey is, but as far as grinding uh, and taking down, like, he's shown he can do that since he stepped onto the UFC stage. And he even did it against wrestler slash scramble fanatic Lando Venata. Um, both from wrestling, from the body lock, or catching kicks and taking down. Those are both relevant because, again... We'll see how good 
Rafael Fiziev's kick counters are, as far as leg or calf kicks go, which calf kicks are harder to counter for range, especially if you're already at a loss of range, both reach and height. But if he forces Fiziev into the clinch, which up until the last fight, Fiziev showed finally showed some of that clicks slick clinch fighting, and you know I believe they got the Hickman brothers at Tiger Muay Thai, so you would hope his wrestling is improved. It showed to improve as far as in clinch scenarios, but again, it's Alex White. What's worrisome is even though it looks like he's moving in the right direction before that fight, MMA, all his MMA fights, like he, he, if anybody wants to push him to the clinch, low level, not the biggest guy, whatever, they were able to do that. And even with this advanced, improved version, he's using a lot of overhook, which is good. Wizard, break grip, hip down, force them to take a single. That's like kind of like, you know, becoming the new meta as far as takedown defense, right? Like, former champions, the reason why we were so high on guys like Robert Whitaker or Max Holloway in the pound-for-pound sense um, was because, you know, the quiet things they did in those counter-wrestling spaces. More guys are doing it. Fiziev looks like he's being schooled by that, but even when he's successful and at his best in his last fight, he still goes from overhook to Muay Thai clinch and doesn't show exactly the urgency underhooks or force against that he's going to need against somebody who really is trying to push meaningful clinch, stalling, or all-out grappling attacks on him. Furthermore, as good as the overhook or tie plum is, uh, Ty Plum actually not good at defending, but, I mean, you know, it's useful because, you know, if you have a guy like Fizier who actually knows how to use it, okay, cool. But the problem with both those things is they give way to body locks, right? Unless you're really quick and have a deep grip break or bicep, you know, C-clamp uh, to separate the grip, um, even your overhook can give way to a body lock if a guy gets in in time, right? Or re-wrestles and swims competently, which Diakasi shows he can both do t- competently from a technical level as well as muscle it. Again, both early and later more relevant in his UFC career. That's a hell of a plan B to have in your back pocket. Um, so for a guy who seems like he learned those lessons, that Fiziev, yeah, he learned like a flash knockdown lesson, but, I mean, did he really learn the lesson? How many guys are going to wing fucking wheel kicks like Mustafaev? And even within the fight, did he learn the lesson, being that he got hit with the same shot he got knocked out with a couple exchanges prior? Um, yeah, as much as I want to like Fiziev, I'm interested. Sign me up for any time he fights. I, 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 I can't pick him here. And at this price, if it's going to stay and be contentious, I'm not seeing something you guys are. Um, I'm going to play DKC. Uh 1.75 units at minus 160. Uh, all right, let's speed this up. Lipsky, minus 117. Luana Carolina. Money is slowly, steadily creeping up. Like, every time I looked at it, I didn't get a chance to do much more than the old Tapology Sherdog breakdown looking at their uh, stats. But I, get, I hear that... When I look at Luana Carolina, because... And the line is following suit. It's creeping up like Jaws. Um, because Lipsky, obviously, has just kind of been a fade plant. Uh, spoiler. Uh, overhyped. And I'm not trying to hate on her. Just, man, does she really draw those things, right? And uh, so I get not being faithful in it. Um, however, she just has way more experience, win or lose. Um, and uh, I, I, I th- I'm going to think way, uh, more access to training. Uh pre and po- uh, pre and during uh, 
before and during this pandemic era, right? Um, and her accolades, you know, she still has more uh, grappling and stand-up competition and higher accolades than Luana Carolina, who just pretty much has a blue belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and blue belt in Muay Thai or their equivalent, whatever that's worth to you. Um, I didn't go back and watch the Priscilla Cachoeira fight, but I'm pretty sure I remember that being just some of the I don't want to be disrespectful, especially to the ladies, but like some of the ugliest MMA I've seen in some time, not even in the UFC, just really ugly MMA from what I remember. Um, so I, I'll take Livsky, but that's that's all I got here, folks. I got nothing. I wouldn't even take overs here. This one's on the avoid list. Um, Alexandre Pantoja, minus 190. Askar Askarov, plus 165. Um, yeah, I think the line's about right. Um, although... I saw minus 190, and I felt a little bit better than the minus 200 on pulling the trigger on Pantoja. Uh, I'm not a parlay guy, but uh, I always warn you guys properly, but I'm going to take a two-person shot. One of it's Pantoja. I'm essentially backing fighters that I really like, really good grapplers that I really like, and they're also guys that are in matchups where unless they get clubbed and stopped or clubbed and subbed, that they're pretty much going to be dictating and putting out more offense and dictating the offense more often than not as well. So for that reason, and then not too high, not too low, um, I took Pantoja here. Uh, I took Moreno against Askarov, and I was amongst who scored 30-27, although 29-27 and 29-28 also very acceptable for Moreno. That was a complete robbery of a scorecard. Um, which is the one worry here. I'm more worried about that than Askarov, you know, who seems to have some pop in his hands. You know, how can you tell? You know, look at Tim Elliott's defense and Warren Chin. And I know it's like, well, Dan, you just came out here and betting Tim Elliott. Now you're going to shit on him. I'm not trying to shit on him. I'm just saying, you know, I don't know how much stock you can put on that against a guy who's not a striker and, uh, you know, not the most durable. A guy, who, even though he's only been rocked once, he does he does get rocked in a lot of his fights. So... And that was the perfect shot. It was beautiful. You know me. I love me them check right hooks, folks, uh, from that southpaw stance, especially if memory serves right. But like, I've never been sold on Askarov. Like, I picked him, and I think I stayed away uh, against Elliot. But I picked Moreno and fucking clearly scored it for him. But that's the worry here more than the striking is the judges. Does he get the same judges from Russia? And more importantly, you go to his Instagram. Who's he hanging out with? Muslim Salikov. Does he get does he get his buddy? Does he get Muzzy Sally's? Does he get Muzzy Sally's judges, huh? Uh, you know, they're in Abu Dhabi, folks. You know what I'm saying? Like Askar Askarov, I think I don't know if he's a team Ahmad guy, but like, you know what I'm saying? Ooh, lots of money, lots of uh, connections going on over there, and uh it, it makes me worry. Uh so gotta be gotta be careful. Um so that that's the worry there. Otherwise, I think Pantoja takes this. Uh, like I told, like I told uh, my co-host Dan over there at Line Movement that like, yeah, the, I might like Pantoja, but here's the worry: he's been doing this for like a decade. Dude, the bottom's gonna drop out. Obviously, Figueroa is a power hitter, so of course he was gonna get rocked in that fight. But even in his last fight, um, he got fucking stunned and like almost like almost like Elliot Askarov. Uh, before getting the TKO himself on Matt Schnell. So, so, something to watch out for. But for minus 190, I'll take a shot, especially for who, uh, and I'm only tying him to one person and who that person is. Um, also on the avoid list, although 
easy Derek Love. You could look at rounds two or three for a finish because I think the odds makers are going to be keen to any live betting for Roman Dolades. I probably mispronounced his name at minus 152 over Kadis Ibragamov over plus 132, who now I just... Can't think about, uh, I think it was my dude over there, Connor Rebus, just ragging on him on Twitter for his uh, his yelp that he hit on Ed Herman. That fight, the... <laughs> I don't know why I made the uh, redneck uh, dinosaur hunter from Jurassic Park PlayStation 1994 game. Wow, Dan, what a relevant reference that was. But yeah, that's where that sound effect comes from. Um, <laughs> that's, he brought him off. Uh, who has boxing and Sabo accolades, but he just looks like he's um, trying not to say the R word, R word, folks. He looks like he's special and just kind of goes in there and wings till he gasses, and he's either going to finish uh, Roman or he's going to gas himself out, hence why the live betting line should be obvious, so I don't know if there's going to be opportunities there. So I say you just sprinkle on Roman in round two or round three, and you'll probably make back what you spend. Um, but it should be on the avoid list. Grant Dawson, minus 230. Nadnir Monty, plus 190. Probably a smart parlay piece who I should be tying it to. He kind of fits the description, uh, what I said. I was tying Pantoja to, although not. It just seems like he does what Naramani does a lot better. Um, I think Naramani's a black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, but he's not listed in his profile, whereas uh, Grant Dawson is a brown belt and just has a smart wrestling uh, style. Top control, uh, kind of a high percentage style if he doesn't gas or do anything dumb on the feet. Um, I just, uh, just you know, we'll have to see what he gets ceiling is when he gets higher in the division. You can look to fade him, uh, but otherwise he just seems like a guy is going to rinse, wash, and repeat. Nad Miramani seems toward more, t- more closer to the turning point of that barometer, but still falling upon the same side of guys he should beat, so... I don't blame anybody for for using him for a parlay piece. I am not really using him for anything. I did not study this fight too closely. So um, be careful with my words, but I don't disagree for face value off the line. Uh, Joe Duffy, minus 330. Yoel Alvarez, plus 270. Um, This is a dangerous fight uh, for Joe Duffy. I don't blame anybody taking shots to Alvarez. Good luck. Um, I didn't get a chance to study this fight. I'm a big fan of Joe Duffy. Um, Before, you know, talking to him, interviewing him, and meeting him, Bigger fan after. Um, so I will be cheering for Duffy, definitely. I will even be picking him here, but I will not be playing him. I will warn anybody putting him in your parlay pieces uh, as the dog here is live. Speaking of brown belts and Brazilian jiu-jitsu, Joel Alvarez just got his. And even though Joe Duffy got the Japanese black belt in jiu-jitsu, it's a bit different as his Brazilian jiu-jitsu brown belt or purple belt i think he's still at purple that being said i think he got some training at tristar i don't know what his training situation is either um hard to say uh joe duffy's been doing it for a while man i mean uh, alvarez made his debut three years after uh, joe duffy submitted conor mcgregor um so alvarez definitely of the new breed we'll see he's in spain i don't know if luke barnett still bases him out of spain but i saw luke barnett out there um cornering some european fighters so uh, I got he spec for Luke Barnett as well. Another long guy can give him some useful stuff if that's the case. Um, but yeah, picks Duffy. Uh, it's Dogger pass though. Good luck if you played Alvarez. Montel Jackson minus two fifteen. Brett Johns plus one seventy eight. This one's strange, man. I I don't disagree with uh, Montel Jackson being the favorite who I was leaning against when uh, I talked to my co-host there, Dan at Line Movement MMA. But I 
Still don't disagree with Montel Jackson being the favorite, although I am reluctantly siding with Brett Johns here. You know, um, I only got to go back. I didn't get to go do a full deep dive, full deep disclosure, but I did go back to watch their last fight or couple fights, depending. And um, again, it's that dynamic. Perhaps the Al-Hassan thing scared me. But when you get these uber prospects, athletes, but the gas tank and all these weird intangibles against a guy who's fucking proven, got the experience, tough as shit, doesn't quit, puts the output, um, even though the person who can score a knockout or a TKO or is primed to win most of the exchanges standing is clearly Montel Jackson. Um, Brett Johns, you know, trains a lot of Muay Thai as like a brown equivalent to a brown belt ranking for whatever that's worth. Um, I believe he even made trips over to the old Thailand. Um, so he's not outclassed there. And Brett Johns, who can wrestle, uh, even got credit from DC for so. You know, you get that you get that pat and the rub on the back for your wrestling. But Brett Johns is actually a judo guy. He's a black belt in judo. He's also a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And I believe even like Japanese jiu-jitsu. Um, so Brett Johns can grapple. He can also do opportunistic stuff like leg locks and calf calf slicer shit. Um, I would like to see him do guillotines. That's what I wanted to see on his record. However, there are no guillotines even dating way back to his amateur record, which goes back. Uh, I think his pro record even starts a few years before um, Jackson does, if you want to talk about experience and strength of schedule. Unfortunately, no guillotines. And I mention that because... Montel Jackson, man, it seems like when he gets tired, he'll give that guillotine and look for those front headlock, or he'll give he'll give give way to those things. Um, he did it, not even just in the third round against Felipe Calares, a guy he was dominating. I mean, you look you go look at those stats; it doesn't even look like a fight. Felipe Calares is only credited with seven significant strikes, folks. That being said, even after landing this crazy flurry. Uh, Montel Jackson comes out looking a little more tired than I remember. I remember him coasting. I don't remember him being so tired. And he is giving the takedown so hard because he's trying to play his poker face. So this this could be, you know, 60-40 of my speculation how actually tired he showed or was, perhaps. But to me, he looked more tired than he needed to be on, which is why he really probably wanted to get the takedown so badly. But it was one of those things that fatigue will make you make poor decisions, and he did it at the excuse of giving his neck. And thankfully for him, he his arm was at such a bad angle um, that they were, he was giving arm and guillotines, and arm and guillotines are hard to finish. Uh, the rule of thumb is the choking arm. If you put your put your left or your right arm up, and imagine you're being choked. That choking arm has to be pretty much horizontal um, from your armpit to across your neck. The arm that's wrapping in from your neck side, right? In other words, that's got to be almost like a, a crowbar, like a, a crossbar. It's got to be almost vertical across. As soon as it gets tilted, that means your grip is being spread out. As soon as it starts getting tilted um, to an angle, in theory, that means there's there's being more space being allowed between your shoulder and your neck, which is what's allowing you to breathe there. Um, and if you look at both those arm and guillotine attempts, uh, the arm positioning that I mentioned was already broken, thankfully for Montel Jackson's sake. However, not only did he give those guillotines, he made them worse and didn't correct it both times by getting off to his side. I think he thought he was safe, 
Um, and I get wanting to get as far away from the guillotine side. That textbook is correct. However, that's correct when you're on top. You got to get back up and square and get back on balance. If you're off balance, you're more likely to be submitted no matter what the submission is in theory. And if you're off balance and on your side, you're more prone to have the other guy get on top of you in a scramble. Furthermore, what has been a trend as far as finishing high-level arm and guillotines, I said they've been harder to finish in MMA. Not just in MMA, even in high-level grappling, arm and guillotines have been harder. And I haven't been following the trends admittedly in the past couple years, but around 2013 to 2015 or so, I definitely recall seeing more people in MMA and out of MMA going to their side hip because you can gain extra leverage there, right? Oh, he's got him too close to the cage. You can't flex back or he's got him flat down. Um, like I said, so he's on balance and he's got the guy flat so he can't flex into the uh, choke, even though you shouldn't be flexing away anyways. You should be crunching into a choke. Um, the point is when you get to your side, it allows you the room to, uh, to flex either which way. So even though he got away with it, Montel Jackson put himself layered not just once but twice and not just twice but two different layers within those two different examples throughout the fight he put him in bad position himself in bad position um and Kalara has got a black belt Brazilian jiu-jitsu but he is not as good of a jiu-jitsu practitioner as John's much less any of the phases much less putting those phases together um I'm gonna reluctantly pick John's because I think it's going to come down to the second round. It's not just can it come, John turn things around in the second round and force Montel Jackson to work, but Montel Jackson from that long southpaw stance, especially again, you, got, you, you this is where he's going to be getting better, folks. He's only 28 years old. Uh, however, how's that weight cut going to be? This guy seems like he's destined for 45 pounds. I mean, he's got the hand size of Francis Ngannou. He's got light heavyweight reach. He's 5'10". Looks like he's almost 5'11". Um, how much does he have at this weight class? You know, but even f forgetting that, like, um, like, you know, yeah, he's got the striking advantage. And I could see him, even though Brett Johns has never been stopped, you know, I could see him getting a knockdown or beating up Brett Johns really bad and maybe getting a borderline 10-8. We saw a guy give a 10-7, you know what I'm saying? So it's not just that Brett Johns is going to have to turn things around by at least the halfway point of the second round, which I'm, I'm, I'm confident enough he can do in the sense to pick him, although I'm not playing him and I'm not telling you to play him. I'm not playing him by money line and I'm not telling you to play him. Pause or hold on that. But uh, So not only is he going to have to turn things around midway through the point of the second round, but he's also going to have to not get 10-8'd because then he's fighting for a draw at best and it gets real dicey, right? That being said, if you are looking to play Johns or if you don't have a pick and you don't care but you're looking to have some degenerate action or you're not picking Johns, you're picking Jackson, but you're not playing, you want to play it, or you're picking Jackson and you're a hedge guy, which I'm not a hedge guy, but... I think round three uh, inside the distance when he's tired, getting him with something, uh, whether it's, you know, punches from the back mount, although Montel Jackson can just show it, he can just stand up against Ricky Simone. Um, and that fight he took on short notice, but he didn't take Kolaris' fight on short notice any gas. And now he's training through pandemic era and there's not a lot on his social media, whereas, you know, Brett John's training with Jack Shore, Shore MMA, 
Like Brett Johns looks like he's been getting his training in, folks. So that could be a big deal too. Um, and Brett Johns, whether he gets his training in or not, he's I, I, even if he's losing first two rounds, I, I'm hard pressed to not believe he's not the fresher guy come round three. So easy, Derek Love. I sprinkled on it just a quarter unit, easy, Derek Love. But John's round three. Usually, I like a minimum of plus twelve hundred. Um, it feels like that. For example, that Dolidze guy against Ibragimov. Like you're only getting like plus five eighty and like plus eleven hundred for round three or plus ten hundred. So everybody kind of is on this. Um, and granted, he's the favorite, so it makes sense for it to be tighter odds. But man, these seem really wide for round three odds for what I think is the most potent round for the guy I'm picking. And that's plus 1875 for John's round three. So I sprinkled on that. Um, and I'm not telling you to do that. Although it actually, I'm not a hedge guy either, but it actually could serve as a hedge to, uh, you know, if, you, if you're looking to uh, hedge out whatever you, you don't, you don't got to give a lot to make back whatever you're spending on Montel Jackson. That's in other words, um, if that's your style, not mine. Um, but yeah, I'm going to reluctantly pick Brett Johns. I'm not telling you to play him. If you do, you, Probably shouldn't play the money line. Just a friendly sprinkle on round three. All right. Um, next fight, uh, Amir Albazi, minus 170. Malcolm Gordon, plus 150. Um, don't follow me off this cliff. I don't know if I'm going to sprinkle the money line. If I do, it's going to be D-Gen. But I'm going to go with the dog, Malcolm Gordon. A lot of this could be a bias from TSN MMA show. Uh, shout out to Joel Valtellini, who co-hosts with my dude Aaron Bronstetter. Of course, Joel Valtellini, great Muay Thai uh, uh, practitioner competitor, coach, commentator, YouTuber, uh, podcast host. The guy does everything. Um, and he is in encamped over there um, and hooking up with a lot of the guys, using his connections, getting a lot of good training in. Um, with his guy, Malcolm Gordon, uh, Amir Albazi, I believe, is taking this on shorter notice, too. Uh, I don't think, although that could be just as a problem for Gordon. Again, you can't forget that the short notice things are also problems for the other guy. Good and bad. They deserve the credit and credence for it. But Gordon, according to the interview I was listening to, isn't a guy who really worries about his opponent anyways. He focuses on himself. And he listens to his coaches and allows his coaches to break him down. And Valtellini is a guy who breaks a lot of things down, whether it's opponents for him, his guys, or scouting work for other high-level camps. Um, UFC level as well, by the way. So Joe Valtellini knows his shit. Um, they feel pretty good, like you're at a pretty good game plan for this guy. It's just worrisome because even though Amir Albazi, I mean, this guy looks like he's a wrestler, really good jiu-jitsu credentials. Um, I think he cites that he like he competed in tournaments, although what kind of tournaments in his region, he doesn't really say. He's only a purple belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, but like, okay, is he like a Charles Oliveira when he was a purple belt? You know, is he like, you know, Holly and Paiva's purple belt? Like, is he, a, you know, it depends what kind of level of purple belt are we talking about here. He's clearly a really good one, you know what I'm saying? Uh, he doesn't have any wrestling experience, uh, but, you know, and he got into martial arts kind of later, surprisingly, but you wouldn't be able to tell that because the kid gets after that. You know, he's got that Bryce Mitchell kind of, like, special you know, special kid motor and state of mind, man. Like, and I mean that as a compliment. Like, those are kind of the dudes you want to bet on, you know what I'm saying? And maybe he has that here, but then you look at Malcolm Gordon, who's not just, you know have a, have much better and more proper and more lengthier and more solid experience in sample size, training under good striking, 
uh, coaches. And if this is going to be a grappling match, well, Malcolm Gordon is a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt who actually has competition credentials. Are they the highest? No, uh, probably uh, not necessarily. But like by the rank, it's like, wait a minute. Uh, the purple belt's going to give the Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt the fight that he wants. Um, it's never that simple. Not all black belts are created equal. There's so many intangibles. You should really stay away from this fight regardless of what side you're on. But I'm going to pick Gordon the way it looks on paper, plus biases and plus number. Uh, you know, but this is definitely um, avoid material. Uh, I may sprinkle as a degenerate, and, and that's about it. You shouldn't do anything more than that. Um, next fight, Armin Saryukian, minus 200. Davi Hamos, plus 170. Um, this is the other piece of the parlay uh, for, I believe it's like plus 1.05. When you put them two together, you're getting plus money. <clears throat> but you guys know I'm a big fan of Armin Saryuki, and even though I picked Islam Makachev, I was warning everybody, you know, be careful if you parlay that 350, don't play the inside the distance, and don't expect a clear-cut fight. Um, I mean, it was clear-cut in the sense that like, I don't disagree with who got the decision, but Saryuki got so much people, odds makers, pundits, and even casuals alike, within a loss and with wrestling in a loss. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that's pretty damn impressive, especially for wrestling stands like myself. Um, I was really stoked on it. Um, and yeah, man, this guy's got a master of sports in wrestling, master of sports at MMA. Uh, just came up doing it. You know, it doesn't have, it didn't face the best competition, but traveled, fought a lot of different guys, a lot of different styles. You know, he is the one loss where he got clipped. And again, unless he gets clubbed and subbed, I don't think it here, you know. Davi Hamosh, man, I love Davi Hamosh. 2015 ADCC winner. Not, excuse me, not just a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt. You know, they're not all created equal. He is a third degree Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt, folks. Third degree. All right? 2015 ADCC winner. He knows what to do outside of that key, all right? Like, this guy is no joke, but his striking, even though he's really improving it, he looks mean. He looks mean in this. He looks coming in a great shape. He looks like he's been getting his training. Um, guys respect his power, but, like, and he does have power, but, like, how many knockouts does he have? One? Early on in his career? Who did he knock out? Oh, Alberto Quinones, who Sean O'Malley knocked at the Bantamweight? Davi Hamos, who's like this tank who's competed at one set. Yeah, of course he's going to knock that guy out. That's his one knockout. Not saying he can't. I mean, who knows? He could knock Saryuki and senseless. But if he doesn't do it in that one round, he likes to counter. Saryukin's aggressive, man. Saryukin will give him a chance to counter. But if he doesn't counter and find his shot, Saryukin is going to drown him. Saryukin can play distance management. He likes to kick. And now he's finally not facing a southpaw. So all of his kicks, including his favorite spinning back kick, which if he lands to the body, will at least take some points out of Davi Hamosh's gas tank. Um, he's going to be able to play his distance game. And in close, he's going to be able to wrestle. He's shown that he's not afraid of wrestling like jujitsu and judo uh, black belts uh, in Alban Mercier, who are way more experienced than him. Uh, or... Uh, or guys like that are dangerous submission, clinch, and wrestling threats. Islam Makhachev, who I've been super high on, uh, just as high on as 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 Khabib um, for the technical stuff that he is technical play and finesse to his game. That I just love it. Um, and that guy, oh by the way, also um, outdid uh, Davi Hamos. Granted, he did wait to grapple until later in the fight, but did outdid him on the feet and uh, and on the floor. 
Um, so essentially, whether they're fighting in the clinch or he's got him on the ground and against the cage, which don't be surprised if he does that here to Davi Hamosh, folks, or if they're kickboxing, Saryukian's going to be doing more at more of a variety and better. Um, he seems like a really hard guy to get the back on, and Hamos does not seem like he's, you know, unless he's like doing a fucking flying triangle and a grappling jiu-jitsu match, um, he's not really a guy who's going to be working off the bottom uh, very well in MMA with the gloves, especially as the rounds go on. So it'll be your classic scary early, and you'll just see the percentage points and the scale just steadily but surely keep tipping in Saryukian's favor for as long as the fight goes on. Um, and who knows, maybe Saryukian gets a finish in round three late uh, over a gassed Hamos who shows he's even gassed in fights that he's winning, like against Austin Hubbard. Uh, I, the pace that Arm, Armand's going to put. Armand's going to make some risks for that pace, but it's going to pay. It's going to pay off. Um, and if it doesn't, man, I'll be the, I'll be the first to, uh, you know me, no, no spilt milk here. I'll, shouts to Hamos and, and uh, admits it when I'm wrong, but yeah, that's my read. Uh, next fight, definitely on the avoid list. Um Ice Fisherman Extraordinaire, Sergey Spivak, minus 175. Carlos Felipe, who, uh, plus 155. I was reading his profile, and it was like, uh, I got into, like, at first I, I didn't even realize what, what weight class he was in. I was just, like, kind of skimming through profiles. And it just, I'm reading, and I'm like, I got into MMA to fight morbid obesity. I'm like, oh, wow. This guy, like, do a Dan Hooker and get down to featherweight? What was he fighting at? Heavyweight? I'm like, Jesus, how big was this guy that he got all the way down to heavyweight? <laughs> not shitting on that folks I'm not shitting on his accomplishments I'm fucking proud proud of anybody that did, that's on that weight loss journey more power to you just I wasn't expecting to be that that was the weight that he dropped down to but hey that, that is a weight class good for you sir um yeah, I got nothing on this fight uh I'll pick Spivak I guess I got nothing that's on the avoid list for good reason. All right. Longer than I wanted to go, folks. Jesus Christ, 121. Recapping from top to bottom. I am taking Joseph Benavidez over Devison Figueiredo. Um, although not playing Benavidez. Uh, Figueiredo deserved a favorite. Unless it gets super high. It gets plus 200. Maybe I'll play him. Taking KG Kelvin Gaslam over Jack Hermanson. Taking Mark D. Casey over Rafael Fiziev. Taking Ariana Lipsky over... Luana Karlin taking Alexandre Pantoja over Askar Askarov, taking Roman Dolodize over Kadis Ibrahimov, taking Grant Dawson over Nad Niramani, taking Joe Duffy over Joel Alvarez, who is a live dog, taking Mon oh Brett Johns over Montel Jackson, albeit reluctantly. Uh, taking Malcolm Gordon over Amir Albazi, albeit reluctantly. Taking Armin Saryukin over Davi Hamos. And I guess I'm taking Sergei Spivak over Carlos Philippe. Parlay Pantoja and Arman for plus 1.05 at one unit. Took D. Casey minus 160, although he's at a better place at the time of this recording. He took him uh, 1.75 units. Taking Kelvin Gaslam minus 110 for 1.25. Um... John's question mark uh, didn't play him by money line. Not recommending you do. Although maybe I will jump on that too if it gets high enough. Uh, Malcolm question mark. If I do, it'll be a degenerate sprinkle. I don't recommend you do. You should probably avoid that fight. Uh, props. Doladis round two or round three are worth a sprinkle in my opinion. And I did take a quarter unit sprinkle on John's round three, plus eighteen seventy five. Avoids list. Bivak Felipe. 
Lipsky, Karolina, Ibragamov, Dolize, even though I kind of recommended the props there. All right, folks. Sorry it's longer than expected. Uh, hopefully you got to listen to this. Good luck on your picks and plays. Uh, I love you all. Be good human beings out there. You can still be funny. Still, dude, I'm not trying to police anybody. Just don't be a shitbag, whether it's your neighbor or to a fighter. Um, <laughs> don't be an asshole. Uh, and, uh, and good luck. And always protect your neck. <laughs>